it's the only thing that I can make it make sense. Like I'm trying to create a worldview, like a, a worldview that makes all of the moves and decisions that they make all line up and add up to, 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 to seem rational. And that's the only thing that makes sense to me. It all, it all fits in and maybe I'm wrong, but like, I, that's this what is I see. Gonna be the, this is going to be the subway meme. Have you seen the subway meme with no, uh, Durant no, or whatever? No, tell me about it. It sounds funny already, the, though. <laughs> yeah, you know, like Subway, the restaurant or whatever. Yeah. It's like, so there's this meme where like a customer is at Subway and he's bitching to the worker. He's like, dude, this sandwich sucks. And the worker's like, motherfucker, you built the sandwich. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, dude. This is Hot Hand Theory. This is a podcast where we talk about the NBA and break things down from an analytical perspective. I'm your co-host, XJ. As always, he is my brilliant co-host, Jeff. We are recording this following the Knicks, uh, should we say, annoying loss to the Orlando Magic, disturbing loss, you might say, to the Orlando Magic. I don't know what adjective you would use, Jeff, but I want to talk about that game, the last couple games without Brunson. And also a big report that just dropped recently. Um, it has come upon our radar for the Knicks. So lots to talk about. Um, what are your instant thoughts uh, in terms of the last week of Knicks games? The word I'd use is unnecessary. It was just an unnecessary loss. I, I, I don't know about you, but I just don't think the Magic even played very well. It was It was really funny. Like my dad is, you know, one my my favorite person in the world he's awesome but one of his few uh negative qualities i don't even know this is a negative quality he's an over warrior you know like if you're watching a sporting game with him he just always thinks his team is going to lose the worst is going to happen dude and i can't watch a game with the, me and your dad can't watch a game together that sucks because we'd just be the same <laughs> oh, <laughs> the same way <laughs> <laughs> so, so i mean actually i think you would really enjoy it then you guys would just sit there and like collude or collaborate over the worst case scenarios every single time something's happened it would it would be a nightmare for me i don't think i could sit there and listen to you guys but <laughs> that's true um but the whole game, he was just like, yeah, the Knicks are going to lose. They're playing awful. And I was just like, I kept reassuring him like, yeah, I don't think the Knicks are playing super well, but how is this Magic team going to score? You know, like they they had this starting lineup that couldn't put the ball in the basket. Like, you know, Paolo Bancaro, great player, fringe all-star maybe this season, definitely going to be an all-star down the line if he keeps up at this trajectory. But he needs space to operate in and – He's surrounded. I mean, I know Jalen Suggs is shooting 39% from three this season. He was ice cold. The only other spacer they really had in their lineup, Chuma Okeke, Chuma, Chuma Okeke. And he's shooting, he's like a career 32% shooter from three. I know he was four or five in that game, but that's starting lineup. Just every single time down the court, it was just like, it felt like a slog for them to even create a good look. And the Knicks were kind of sleepwalking through the game and they were creating good looks all the time. So it's just like, okay, eventually this is going to be fine. And you look up at the end of the game and it's 98-94 and it's like, man, I, I just don't think that had to happen. I thought it was super unnecessary. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you as far as the Magic's ability to create good shots. It was not good. I felt like, at least for me, it felt like the offense was geared towards like getting Paolo Bencaro mid-range jumpers. It was like, let's see if we can get, let's see how close to the basket Paolo can shoot this midi from. <laughs> like that was, that was the Magic's offense, but... I don't know if I agree that the Knicks were getting a ton of like really good looks all game. I mean, they definitely missed some open shots, but 
it did feel like a slog for for me as far as like the Knicks' ability to get open shots too, or and and good looks at least. Um, to me, yeah. I, I meant I meant like relative to the Magic. I oh. I actually thought I, I thought the Magic had a really good defensive game plan and made it tough on the Knicks. Knicks, but I do think at the margin, the Knicks were creating the superior looks, and I thought that that would yeah. even out at the end of the, by the end of the game. Yeah, and I agree. I agree with that that assessment for sure. I guess it's just like to me, did did it ring the panic alarm that it did for so many Knicks fans about the lack of a secondary creator when Brunson's not in, when Brunson misses a game. Um, the the deep need for this team to have somebody who either comes off the bench who can create buckets, <laughs> create good looks, create open shots for team for the team, um, and or somebody who can play next to Brunson and Randall who is a little bit of a better fit than you know an RJ Barrett in terms of the required usage, but when you go to them can also create some some shots. But I, I would say for me, like just real quick, I I, I felt like sort of they were auditioning several players to see who could create shots with Brunson out felt like OG got a shot um DiVincenzo got a shot Grimes got a little bit of a shot a very small shot um but I I felt like DiVincenzo did the best with it which was cool to see like him create out of the pick and roll and get into the pain and create shots for others I thought that was really cool OG just looked to me like a he was effective, but it didn't look good. He's like kind of clunky and kind of stiff and, and rigid. And, and I don't feel like I would like to go to OG, like pick and rolls a lot or, or have an OG like create off the bounce. Like, I don't think that feels like the best, most viable option, you know, in lieu of a Brunson, but it felt like they were trying out a bunch of different guys. And I don't know, did you see anything that made you feel like, you know, this could work without Brunson or when Brunson's out of the lineup and, or do you feel like it showed that there's a desperate need to bring someone in? I feel like it's, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think Tibbs has already decided he needs another guy. And for now they just, I mean, you talked about it yesterday. It's just different when Randall's out there without Brunson, they, they almost upend the entire offensive process and the system isn't super complicated to begin with, but I thought that the DiVincenzo and Deuce pick and rolls when they were given opportunities to run pick and rolls were fine. Like if you're comparing them to Jalen Brunson, I got news for you. Nobody's going to be Jalen Brunson. Like Emmanuel quickly wasn't Jalen Brunson when he was here. That's not what he was. Um, nobody's going to be able to replicate what Jalen Brunson does. So of course it's going to look worse, but I thought that in the opportunity in the moments and when uh, DiVincenzo and Deuce got opportunities to actually run the offense and run the system in a way that it looks like when Jalen Brunson's running the system, I thought they did fine. Um, so if it were me, I would just keep doing that. I don't think you have to, you know, do some of the things that are being rumored today um, to do. I, of course, I don't know what's on the table for the Knicks. You know, like if if the Knicks have a really good deal on the table, they should make it. I think that's obvious. We we shouldn't be against potential really good trades. I, I don't and I don't know what they have on the table. But you asked if I feel like a panic after what I saw yesterday. Yeah. And my answer would just be no, you you don't have to, you know, go out and get someone just to get somebody. My answer would be, hey, Julius Randle, like you're now the best player, but that doesn't mean we're just completely overhauling the system. Like you're still playing off a perimeter guy. You still, you know, you still want to attack the rim. I mean, over half of, or exactly half of his shots yesterday were three. Yesterday were threes, which is I, kind of. I, 
I was just going to say, just because on that point, I felt like at least me, my watch of the game felt like the Magic wanted that. They were going under screens. They didn't want to switch other guys onto Randall. They wanted it to be either be Paolo or Jonathan Isaac when they were in the game. Those were the guys that were going to match up with Randall. And if not, you know, they were going to double and stuff. But they, they really tried to avoid that. And so to avoid that, they just went under screens. And Randall was like, okay, you guys are going to give me threes. And you're going to play off me. Then I'm going to take them. And it's like... He's not a good shooter this year. So that's what we're going to see if, if teams play him that way. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about it in previous episodes. We do want him to keep shooting and find his shot. His shot is important for the overall ceiling of this team. But in the meantime, you know, while he's doing that, he should also be playing off. Like it doesn't feel like he plays off these ball handlers the way he plays off Brunson. You know, like it, it almost feels like he's more passive which is surprising. You would think that like he would want to go back to 2021 Randall, you know, when it was clearly his team and he would get to the mid range, get to his spots, get to the basket. And there were a few times in the game when he created shots for teammates by doing that, but they were just too few and far between. Um, So I guess, you know, to go back to your question, the way I would solve the dilemma is by trying to get Randall to just, play better in the minutes when Brunson's not out there. I know, I know you can't just flip a switch and have him play better, but I know he's capable of it. Um, and if Randall just, you know, if the, if the Randall roller coaster is just too much for Tibbs or other people, I guess the writing is on the wall and they're just going to go get another guy. And I'm afraid that Quinn Grimes is going to be the, um, who the sacrifice the sacrificial lamb quentin grimes yeah yeah the writings on the wall and the writings in on twitter as well because the big story was um you know the report from fred katz that the knicks are actively fielding offers for quentin grimes um and that the sources are saying if they don't trade him by the deadline they could also probably still do so this summer um so so to me at least I'm super curious about your opinion about the story, but to me, the big takeaway is like the level of commitment to Tibbs stylistic preferences is, is full on because Grimes has played a total of 161 possessions this year at the three. Um, And that is a very small sample. And they all came prior to the OG trade to be fair. I will, to be fair in that small sample, the results were horrible. (laughs) The Knicks were like a minus 29.3 per 100 possessions. And it's not like those minutes were like all with like Jericho Sims or something like that. Um, So it wasn't, you know, those were with real guys out there. So it it just didn't go well. But I just, you know, I don't think it's something they they, they can't do or they can't go to. They went to it a lot last year. So those 100 possessions or 161 possessions don't mean to me it's infeasible. But it is clear to me, in my opinion, that Tibbs is not going to do it anymore. He doesn't believe in it. Grimes is not going to play the three. And Quentin Grimes off the bench is getting 17 minutes per game, (laughs) 17 minutes per game. But off the bench, he's shooting 44% from three on like 10 three-point attempts per 75 possessions. That's awesome. That is awesome volume and awesome percentage, obviously. He's scoring at a rate of 17 points per 75 possessions. He has about the same defensive EPM that he had last season, which is great in the 80th percentile. According to B-Ball Index's uh, tracking, how they do tracking with um, defensive matchups, Quentin Grimes is still sixth in the NBA in matchup difficulty after being third last season. So it's not like he's playing way worse competition, and that's why his EPM, his defensive EPM is still tracking, um, playing similarly difficult competition. 
So since he went to the bench, we're actually getting an awesome version of Quentin Grimes. Um, but he still can't play more minutes despite moving out a guy in Emmanuel quickly who played only um, the only position that Tibbs would play him at, at the two. Because um, Grimes is getting 100% of his minutes at the two at this point. And he's averaged 14 minutes per game the last two games with Jalen Brunson out. Like, if he's not going to get an opportunity now, it's I can't imagine it's ever going to come. So, yeah, all of that to me just says, clearly, I don't even think we needed the report. Like, Quentin Grimes' days are numbered because what other opportunity is he going to get in New York? And the opportunity that he has gotten, he's been capitalizing. So I don't know what else he can do. I could go in so many different directions about this. It's just, it's honestly like the most annoying thing to talk about and to think about. I don't understand. So Grimes can't play small forward because he's not big enough. Well, he's, he's an inch taller than Josh Hart, but I guess he's not bulky enough and doesn't jump high enough for rebounds or whatever. But why is Josh Hart not a shitty enough shooter to play shooting guard? Why do the biases and the, he can't do that only work one way? I don't understand. Like, how come there – it's been this way for four seasons now. There are these – oh, like, I, I can think of 100 examples about why we couldn't try certain things. Oh, Tibbs will never do that because he likes rim protection. Oh, Tibbs will never play that guy at point guard because he likes rim pressure from his point guard. Every single time there are these reasons that we can't see what the ceiling for something different is, but there are never, ever reasons for why the status quo can't remain. Why is Josh Hart's shooting not a hindrance to him playing more? It's the most important thing in basketball today. He should, like, if Quentin Grimes can't play small forward because he's a small 6'5", Josh Hart can't fucking play shooting guard. There, it, you can't have it both ways because, like, it's just, idi- I, I don't even know how to expand it. It's just idiotic. It doesn't make any sense at all. And the Josh Hart at shooting guard mitts are going to get, like, and he tried them last year with R.J. Barrett. Okay, that was R.J.'s fault. Now he's trying them this year with OG. They're going better over a small sample size. But you just you watch them out there, and it's like it's the example you always make with like KCP and Jokic. They're not working because Josh Hart's playing shooting guard. He's, the, the lineups are working because it's a really good lineup. Like the, with the way Isaiah Hardenstein is playing right now, and how Jalen Brunson's playing, and how Julius Randle's playing lately, and putting OG and Anobi out there, that for that quartet is going to work with anybody at shooting guard, but it's working less than it would with Quentin Grimes at shooting guard. It's working less than less than it would obviously with Dante DiVincenzo at shooting guard. So this idea that like, Oh, we now have a sample size and see Josh Hart can play shooting guards. Like, no, no, it's going, I, I'm will put my foot down right now and I will plant my flag on is going to get exposed at a certain point because you can't have a guy who doesn't shoot playing shooting guard just because he's tall. And I just don't understand it. I don't understand it on any level. And look, if you don't think Wynn Grimes can play small forward, that's fine. At least give him all the non-DiVincenzo shooting guards. Let's just start let all the non-DiVincenzo shooting guard minutes. Excuse me. Let's just start there. If they just started there last night, DiVincenzo played 24 minutes. Give Grimes those 10, <laughs> those 10 shooting guard minutes and the, 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 the 10 extra shooting guard minutes they didn't get. And okay, he plays 24 minutes. That's fine. I just, I, I just think it all comes down to the Josh. Josh Hart is the new Alec Burks. That's, that's what it is. He's a good player. He sh- there should be no complaints about him because he's a good player who doesn't have the ball in his hands ever. 
So it should be impossible for him to annoy Knicks fans because all he does is try hard. He's always battling for rebounds. He's a fine defender who can guard multiple positions. He gets to the rim. He pushes the ball in transition. He's a good player. But somehow, Tom Thibodeau has found a way for him to annoy the shit out of all Knicks fans because he can't <laughs> fathom a lineup without Josh Hart out there. It's insane. Yeah, I I mean, I think it's all <laughs> it's all right for sure. And I, I agree with you. I I before the Knicks acquired Josh Hart, I really liked Josh Hart a lot. I was a big fan of all the things that he does. Like you said, it's a he's a guy who makes a huge impact without needing the ball in his hands. We, you know, you and I love guys like that. That's awesome because they can fit with almost any team build and be a plus value add, you know, and, and, and allow the guys who do the really skilled level things, you know, they, they can do those things at a high level without being detracted from. And those other guys can still fill in the, the, the gaps and, and, and create impact in other ways. And I think that's great. And that's what Josh Hart does. But, you know, I do think, I mean, first to your point, you know, why does the bias not go the, the both ways? I, I, I think it's like for tips, that's why it's a bias, right? Like if a bias went multiple directions, it would just be noise. But it's a bias because he believes he starts from a place where defensive defense and rebounding are most important. And in order to do those things, you need size and strength. And if you don't have that, he's going to be biased against you um, unless you're like the point guard on the team. That's pretty much the only place where it's like, that's that it's chill to not have size and strength everywhere else. That's what he's probably going to want. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think, I think the issue with Josh Hart for me, at least this year is I do think he's able to fill in the gaps and do a lot of other things, but I do think the shooting is not okay. I don't think the shooting is acceptable this year. I, I don't think Josh Hart is a value player is a plus value player, especially on the offensive end shooting the percentages that he's shooting. I don't think he can be shooting, you know, 29% from the mid range and be in third percentile in the NBA on low volume is fair, but you almost like you're not needed to be guarded. You should never take those shots essentially. And you can't be shooting 32% from three, even if you're playing the three or even if you're if, obviously if you're playing the two, but even if you're playing the three, I just don't think he's adding enough. It's so much that he has to make up for in terms of his impact through, you know, playing hard nosed defense, um, being switchable, being strong, generating turnovers, um, you know, being a really strong connector, getting defensive and offensive rebounds. There's way too much to make up to shoot the percentages that he shot and still be a plus value player. And to be clear you know Josh Hart's not a bad shooter he hasn't been a bad shooter over the course of his career he hasn't been great but 32 percent is the lowest mark of his career um and there was only one other year where he was around 32 percent and he was not a very positive impactful player that year as well so I think if Josh Hart is going to shoot like this I just think the fact is he's not going to get benched like he's not going to lose minutes he's not going to lose time I don't think I mean I'm not sure what he's playing the last several games but if he maybe he has lost a few minutes but he's not going to lose like enough minutes to for it to need to be compensated by Quentin Grimes playing the three like that just seems to be not an option to Tibbs um and I do think I do think McBride has been playing so well that it makes sense for his minutes to be to, to shoot up but for whatever reason it seems clear to me that McBride is the option is the choice over Quentin Grimes and so I do think Quentin Grimes is on the way out I don't know what they're going to look to get back for him but I can imagine, and I don't know how you would feel about this, I can imagine them trading Grimes not for a guy like DeJounte Murray, who, you know, uh, we can or cannot talk about that, 
but not even, you know, in a deal that includes someone like Malcolm Brogdon or, or someone who fits the mold um, of a guy that's coming back as like to be this like tertiary creator after Brunson and Randall. But I can imagine them trading Quentin Grimes just for like draft pick or something like, like getting rid of them essentially. Like I, I would not be shocked if we were to see that happen. Um, so I don't know what you think about that. Well, I'd be really fucking annoyed if that happened. So that's what I think about that, I guess. I don't I mean like a worse player, like maybe like a worse player than Grimes who fits a Tibbs mold and a pick, something like that. Sure. But it's at a certain point, and I mean with this new James Dolan stuff, I don't I guess it's not gonna happen. But at a certain point, there has to there have to be ramifications and expectations for all this. They're molding a team. They they've decided they already know the answers. Like they're molding a team to this guy's preferences. So he has everything he wants. They got rid of quickly. They they got rid of the softies. You know, the all all the all the all the softies are off the team. He, we have a bunch of Tibbs guys on the team now, right? That's this is what he wants. And like now 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 the problem is we have too many good players. So here's what's going to happen. I'll tell you what's going to happen next year. We're going to if that happens, we trade Grimes for some draft picks. Come playoff time, we're going to be seen as a team with six rotation players. It's going to be the starting lineup and Josh Hart. And the defense of Tibbs is going to be, oh my God, he needs more good players. When they had more good <laughs> players to start the season. And the problem was that we had too many good players. So it's just this never-ending cycle of bullshit to defend this guy. So look, I, I mean, if, if, if there's happiness at the end of the tunnel and that happens, I will bow before him and say, yeah, you knew. You, you saw the light. You saw the vision. We executed the vision. Boom. But enough already that there can be no more consolation prizes. There can be no more excuses. We have the team he wants. This is the team. The team that's built right now is the team that Tom Thibodeau wants. And so when the Knicks get to the playoffs and whatever happens, if they lose, like, can you imagine if they lose in the first round and the same people are, and and the same people and the same people are like, Oh, well, what is Tibbs supposed to do? He can't do anything about Julius Randle. Actually, he could have done something about Julius Randle. We've had four years. He, there, there, there are all these things. Oh, what is Tibbs supposed to do? There are only six guys who played well. There's nobody off the bench he could go to. Actually, there were a number of guys he could have gone to. He just didn't want to. He, sh- he showed us, he, like, there's no other team in the league that does this. Watch the fucking Raptors-Celtics game last night, and Joe Missoula is making Luke Cornett work off the bench. You think Joe Missoula wants Luke Cornett out there on the court? No, <laughs> he doesn't. Dude dude is XJ in a, in, a, in a suit right now. All he wants is shooting out there. He wants shooting every minute uh, at every position, and yet somehow you have Luke Cornett operating in a 2-3 zone where he has to chase Emmanuel quickly out on the perimeter, and he's doing it admirably. No, you coach the players you're given. But apparently that's not the standard in New York right now. Apparently the standard is if you don't perfectly check every single box that Tom Thibodeau thinks you should check for that position, you not only don't belong on the team, you like you just need to be banished from his life forever. And so here's the thing. They're doing that. They're coaching. They're acquiescing to his needs and his desires. And that's all well and good. He just needs to be right. If he's not right, then there need to be consequences because you can't just, this can't just keep being the cycle. It can't just be like, oh, 2021. Well, he he did more than he was supposed to because the team wasn't good. He needs better players. Oh shit, now we have too many players. We need to clear up the space so there's more Tibbs guys. No, this is the definition of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And all I'm saying is there need to be expectations for this team now. 
I, I have no inch of disagreement with you on that. I think that's incredibly said to follow that. Tibbs is getting extended, so you should get used to it. Um, I just believe that Tibbs is getting extended. I think it wouldn't make sense. Like, I can't think of a rational argument to build a team so clearly in his image if they didn't know he was also coming back long term. Like, I I don't know what the Grimes deal is going to be or would be. But if they take another value hit, like I believe the RJ IQ trade was um, to get a player that is a better Tibbs fit. I'm just not sure how else they can better demonstrate a commitment to Tibbs' style. And so I just think that they are. I think they're all in on on Tibbs. Um, I don't think they would be building the team this way if they weren't. They got rid of, like you said, they got rid of the softies that they drafted. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the only one the only one left is, uh, is Quentin Grimes, unfortunately, especially if you ask... Um, Scotty Barnes, he would agree that 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 Quentin Grimes is, is probably a, a softy. So he's he's probably going to go too. And um, yeah, I, I I will say I do think it feels like, and I could be wrong. It feels to me like McBride's emergence has made Grimes expendable to them. Um, that's what it seems like to me. And it seems like Tibbs much more prefers Grimes. I know they place different positions, and and McBride is a little smaller, but I do think. McBride is is probably a stronger player overall, and and I I just feel like, like you think he's better. No, 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 stronger, like physically stronger. <laughs> God damn it! Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or, do they like? That, I'm, why, I'm just why, saying. Let's I, play the, the games. Let's just have weightlifting contests. Like that's the, what we want. Right? Like, like the, what, what the fuck is this? It's the only thing that I can make it make sense. Like I'm trying to create a worldview, like a, a worldview that makes all of the moves and decisions that they make all line up and add up to to to, to seem rational. And that's the only thing that makes sense to me. It all it all fits in. And maybe I'm wrong, but like I that's this what I see. This is gonna be the this is gonna be the subway meme. Have you seen the subway meme with no, uh, Durant no, or whatever? No, tell me about it. It sounds funny already, it, though. <laughs> yeah, you know, like Subway, the restaurant or whatever. Yeah. It's like, so there's this meme where like a customer is at Subway and he's bitching to the worker. He's like, dude, this sandwich sucks. And the worker's like, motherfucker, you built the sandwich. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, dude, like, dude, I just don't, I'm going to be, I just know I'm, I'm already going to be so annoyed when we get to the playoffs and Deuce McBride, his shooting comes yeah. back to earth because newsflash he's not a 50 percent three-point shooter and everyone's like oh my god what is tim supposed to do deuce mcbride was terrible and it's like dude like he all these moves were made because this is the guy he wanted so like yeah I no I, I agree with you obviously you know king uh sample size over here it does not believe that deuce mcbride is a 50 percent three-point shooter i'm just saying that referring to myself as king sample size i'm just saying that i don't think that i i I don't see why these decisions would be getting made like why would you trade emmanuel quickly and rj barrett and then quentin grimes get fewer minutes per game like i i i I don't think you can make that make sense like it just this 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 has to mean what it means which is that the guy's on his way out and deuce mcbride is going to backfill those minutes and i think that that's what we're already starting to seeing, and I think that's probably what we'll see moving forward. To your point, like, can you imagine if the Knicks don't bring Tibbs back? Like, let's just say hypothetically, 
first round loss and they're like, okay, we're going to go in a different direction as coach. And now they have like this Tibbsian roster, this shorthanded Tibbsian roster, by the way. Like if they go, if if, (laughs) this new coach is going to come in and be like, Boy, it sure would be nice to have Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel quickly on this roster. You know, like like he that's what's gonna happen. He's gonna be like, I would use those guys. Yeah. Every other team in the league is like, dude, do you know how many tweets today I've seen? Way too many. So many tweets today have been like, gee, Quentin Grimes sure would be nice on this team. And it's like, yeah, he'd be fucking good on every team. Every team. Like if you're if you're creating a world where you can't make Quentin Grimes work, your world doesn't you, it's just not a good war. I, I just, I don't understand how d- did we not watch the playoffs last season? Like the playoffs when he was legitimately one of the most essential players on the team without even shooting. Well, just his mere presence on the court yeah. helped the team. He was the starting shooting guard on a team that very easily could have made the Eastern conference final. And he was integral to that team. And now he's been banished because he doesn't jump as high for rebounds as Josh Hart. Like we need to play Josh Hart at shooting guard because Quentin Grimes can't get 18 minutes instead of 14. It's ridiculous. It's it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of that. Like I, I, I don't see how you can't make Quentin Grimes work. And I don't think it's that he can't make him work. I think that he doesn't like something about him at this point. Like I, I just I, – that's what I'm saying. Like I, I all I can go to is like, oh, he's – not as strong like he is I, I i don't know what else i could pinpoint like any like you said any other team in the nba quinn grimes would be playing more than like 15 to 17 minutes per game again off the bench he's shooting 44 percent from three like like and his defense is 80th uh, epm percentile in epm like i th- that's all i need to tell you when we're talking about th- a three and d two guard who's six four six five and has proven that he can guard wings decently, a lot of them in the NBA. He's coming off the bench, so obviously he can be put against weaker wings, not like the superstar wings of the NBA. But yeah, I I, I don't I don't really know what else there could be to say about it. It's just I think that we're gonna see the end soon for Grimes. Is like my opinion, and I believe the reporting from Fred Katz, and I believe the writing's already on the wall with regard to how he's being deployed. So I just think that. That's, I think Tibbs is going to get extended. And and the last thing I would say, really quick to your point about imagine you know if this team gets eliminated in the first round and they they come back and they have a Tibbsian roster and a different coach, I think Tibbs is staying no matter what. Like I don't think there's a thing that could happen that would end up in Tibbs not being the coach to start the season next year. I think they could lose in the first round and he will be back. He will start the season next year. I don't think there's anything that can happen at this point. That's what I believe. That's wild to me um but i'm not gonna whatever tibbs does stuff well too so guess just gonna have to remember that um you you said about grimes you know 80th percentile on defensive epm and he's shooting 44 percent from three since he moved to the bench i just can't think of a situation another situation in the league when this happens so consistently like when oh, I just don't like this player because of his size or whatever. Like how many different players, how many different good players has Tibbs suppressed or passive aggressively demoted just because he doesn't like a specific aspect of them? I mean, we've now got, if Grimes is included, we've now got four players in the last, what, like two years between Obi, Cam Reddish, Quentin Grimes, and Emmanuel Quickly. 
Like, can you think of another team in the league that is just so dismissive of people who can help your team? I, I can't. No, that that I, I, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it just because I'm sure maybe there's a team or two out there who's done something like that. But, yeah, it feels insane to me. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. And this is this is the act of a team that is either desperate or a championship contender. Like those are the only excuses to be doing something like this with Quentin Quentin Grimes. Yeah, championship 20, contender. Yeah, for sure. Like if you're if you're a title contender, if you're the Nuggets right now or the Celtics, like if the Celtics had Quentin Grimes right now, and they were like, yeah, we see the potential, but like Derek White and Drew Holiday are way better, and we're look we're fighting for a championship, so we don't have the time to deal with the lumps and bruises. I would be like, respect, yes, like yeah, you can do whatever you want, you guys are the title favorites for a reason. I don't even know if the Knicks are betting favorites to win a playoff series this season. It's close. I mean, they they probably small favorites maybe. Like they're probably going to be in that 4 or 5 matchup again. Probably going to be better than who they play in the 4 or 5 matchup, but they they might not be betting favorites to win a single playoff series. Uh, so, yeah, that 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 would be that I agree with you. They're clearly not at the point where they should be cashing in on these trades where they're losing the value exchange in for the sake of trying to get back a player that more fits what they're trying to do immediately I don't think they're at that stage to be of course they haven't traded Quentin Grimes yet so we don't know what that's going to look like but if if they do move in that direction it does feel like they potentially could move in that direction that would be that would be it, it would feel like the wrong move I mean you brought up though that the Knicks may not be favored in any playoff series this year which I just want to point out something that the Knicks looked over the first first five games when they got OG Ananobi, they looked completely dominant. Um, just just before you continue, that's not what I said. I oh, said they might said? not be, they might not be a betting favorite to win a playoff series. That's that's a different. I might not what be explaining my thought. You said they they wouldn't be betting favorites in any playoff series. I think they would be betting favorites over Cleveland. Oh, maybe oh even Miami okay, gotcha, right gotcha. Now. It depends me, on who the matchup is, right? Correct. Yeah. In the, in the totality of like, whether like right now, if it's a simple yes, no question, will the Knicks yeah. make the second round? I'm not a hundred percent sure it's over 50%. Mm, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And that, so if, if, yeah. if it's less than 50%, you can't be acting like you're a title contender who's like <laughs> one move away. Yeah. 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 No, I, I totally agree with that. Okay. That's a helpful clarification. Cause I agree with that. I agree with that right now too, based on how the Eastern Conference is all jumbled up. Who knows where they're going to land? Who knows? You know, not to say they'll be in a play-in, but it's going to depend on health. It depends on the moves that they make. It depends on, and even if they do make it into the playoffs, who's that matchup going to be? All of those things. When you cash it all out, is it a fifty greater than fifty percent chance that they're going to win a playoff series at this point? Maybe, maybe not. I do. I did just want to say, like, about how good they looked over the first five games when they got OG. I don't. Th I think if you would have said that right after Game Five with OG Ananobi, Knicks fans would have laughed at you. They'd been like, "What do you mean we're not a, a over fifty percent, but like, or potentially not over a fifty percent bet to win a playoff series this year? All things considered, that's cr that's a crazy stance. We we have the second best team in the East, clearly, right? Um, that I believe that that's the response that you probably would have gotten from a lot of Knicks fans. And, and then, and then they lost the game against Dallas at full strength. And I feel like that put a lot of blemish on what looked like an amazing unstoppable team. 
And then they haven't looked good at all without Brunson the last two. It literally can't score. Terrible offensive ratings in both games. And something I wanted to mention is that, like, our, as sports fans, like, really strong bias towards small sample sizes. And I'm not saying, like, the Knicks won't be amazing when they're at full strength moving forward. But I'm just saying, like, we should never look at a five-game sample and be like, oh, we're going to win the championship. We're the best team in the East, you know, or, or whatever other takes people have, like, when you have a dominant stretch. We see, um, we see it go how it went because we we can't imagine it going any other way. What I mean by that is like, we see the evidence, we see the five games, they're completely dominant. We can't imagine a scenario where like, they're going to play and like lose, you know, six out of 10 games and look like very beatable because we haven't seen it yet. Right. So to me, it's like, and then also, yeah, the other thing that happened is we can only imagine it getting better because it's like, Oh, it looks so good already. OG doesn't even understand the scheme yet. You know, once he gets the scheme, it's going to be even better, right? Like, but that's just not how some, that's just not how these things work. Like there's so many kind of like luck-based things that happen in the NBA and throughout the season. And the reason we want a large sample before making assertions about, okay, this is the team's true level, or this is a, a player's true level is because over a large sample, you know, those luck things, both good luck and bad luck, they start to balance out and then we can actually extrapolate what the actual true level is of those teams and players. So I just wanted to say that like we, and I'm not, I'm obviously not talking about you specifically, Jeff at all, but I'm saying like Knicks fans, I think should really keep in mind the state that they're in after every like five game stretch, after every really good stretch and every really bad stretch. It's like, these are not indicative of like where things will shake out at the end. And I do think there are trades or moves that the Knicks can make to 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 increase the likelihood that they end up winning the playoff series for sure. Um, end up going deeper into the playoffs for sure. But I just yeah, I just wanted to flag that because that time when they won those five games, I'm just like, okay, I know we're all excited about the trade and stuff, but like you hear some crazy takes where like we got OG now we're the championship favorite or things like that. And I just think it's just small sample size bias. So what do you think? I think the Knicks have the third highest ceiling in the East. Where would you put them? Ceiling is a uh, ceiling is a relative term for me. So see, when you say ceiling, third highest ceiling, uh, maybe, maybe. Like, like if I, I had to bet a team to win the championship coming from the East, there are only two teams I would pick before them. Um. Yeah. So you're saying you would pick the Celtics and the Bucks? Are those the two? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I might agree with that. I think they're close with Philly. I, I don't. I I thought Philly is not as good as they've been all season. So that's not really saying as much about the Knicks as it is about the rest of the competition in the East. I don't think there are that many really good teams in the East. I think the Knicks are the best of the really good teams in the East or, or the the very good teams in the East. But they're not like the 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 the, the drop off after Milwaukee to me to the Knicks is pretty steep. So that's so I would agree with you by saying like they probably have the third to fourth best ceiling, but I think it's just like a different tier though. Yeah. I think that the Knicks are closer to the bucks than you do. I think, but, but to be fair, I, that's me being lower on the bucks than you are. Like, I think there's a massive crater between the Celtics and the bucks. Yeah. And I, 
I, I agree with that, but I also think it's a mass, not a massive, but not as quite as I think the Celtics are head and above the best team in the East. It's not even close. But I think to me, the small sample thing, like the Bucks are another team that this fits into to me. Like they, they had a rough slide and people are like jumping over the top rope like, oh, yeah, the Bucks are a fraud. The damn thing didn't work. The Bucks are bad, blah, blah, blah. The Bucks have the second best offense in the, in the East or in the NBA, I think. They have the third best effective field goal percentage in the NBA. They have the fourth best free throw rate in the NBA. Um, yes, their defense is 19th overall, but they're still ninth in effective field goal against uh, in terms of their defense. So it's a work in progress, but the fact that it's a work in progress and their offensive indicators are off the charts where they are, um, a stretch of four losses in five games does not mean the sky is falling and they're a fraud and they're, you know, all these really lofty overarching claims. Like, I, yeah, okay, we can watch them lose two in a row to Indiana and to Houston and to Utah and be like, okay, this team can't stop anyone. But, you know, I, I just don't think that that's how we can make these assessments in five game bite sized samples to say that this is not a real contender or even like a good or great team. So, um, and, and again, this is no, nothing that you've said, but I'm just mean like, that's the thing that you hear because they had a tough stretch. But before that, they were like, <laughs> they were getting on a roll and seemed like they were going to be a dominant team. I think when Middleton is fully, fully back and and then things continue to improve with Dame and, and Giannis is dynamic on the offensive end, I think their offense is going to be even better than it already is and they'll figure things out defensively. So I, I do think the Bucks to me, are clearly um, superior to the Knicks in the East. I do feel like that Dame buzzer beater was a big moment for them. Like it was a moment where they, I, I'm hoping for the NBA's sake, just so the Celtics don't run rampant all over the whole East. It was a moment to me where it felt like, okay, Giannis is the best player on this team, but in these moments, we brought you Dame here to create shots when shots can't be created. And like, I know that I'm not, you know, creating sliced bread here like i know i know that that was kind of a known thing but to see it actualize on the court matters and to have like a big moment like that where dame can be like okay there's proof of concept like i hit this huge buzzer beater i have the team's trust in these moments you know that that there's a mentality aspect there that i think can go underrated and i feel like that's going to help them in future moments when they're playing close games and it's not like dame's like okay I had my turn. Now it's Giannis's turn. That can't happen. Like it, Giannis is an unbelievable player, but if I'm the defense and Giannis is like trying to clear out or like work from the mid range, I view that as a win, you know, like that, that would be a win to me. And I think Dame needs to understand that like Giannis is the best player because of his overall impact. But when it's a tight game and there's two minutes left and you're trying to create a bucket, like Dame has to be that guy. And there could be no reservations about that. And I truly feel like that buzzer beater is going to help him get closer to that mentality and not, you know, not have any reservations about it. I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that's true. Um, but I feel like Giannis has always been deferential, maybe not always, but for a large part has been deferential to even Middleton in those situations, like towards the ends of games. And he's even acknowledged as such. Um, I, I, I think, I think to me, this is one of the most impressive Giannis seasons in his career to me because his usage, okay, his usage last year was 38 and it's down to 32 and he's having just as much, if not better impact. You know, I think that he's 
focusing on the things that he does best and is executing them at an even higher level than he has at other points in his career. And I think that he is using Dame's gravity to his advantage a lot more. He's able to play off ball more. Um, he is able to impact the game in other ways, you know, on the defensive end and off ball in ways that he hasn't earlier, you know, the last couple years, at least where he's been like soaking up a ton of usage with Middleton being in and out of the lineup and not really having another secondary option. Um, so I, I'm really impressed with Giannis. I like, I, I, I obviously think Giannis is a great player. He hasn't been my favorite player to watch or really like, you know, find as entertaining based on his stylistic, um, style of play. But I think this year, I think it's been incredible what he's done to be able to like accommodate and fit in next to Dame. I think it's been really impressive. I think Dame is the one who kind of like you are suggesting, maybe it's a big moment for Dame because I think he needs to get back to his offensive aggressiveness. I almost feel like Giannis is the one who has to figure out how to fit in and Dame is the one who needs to just be him. And it's tough to do when you're coming into a team and it's like, this player's better than you, you know, and this player, it's their team and they've been there for the longest and you're just coming in and, you know, it's weird to be like, yeah, you go get yours and then that guy will figure it out. But I don't feel like this kind of passive Dame that we've kind of seen is is going to really get to the point to the level that the Bucks need him to, to to reach their highest ceiling and I think that I think that you know I'm looking at his usage 33 usage last year down to 27 this year um, would be his lowest usage of his career since 2015 since he was four, uh, 24 years old also would be his lowest offensive impact if looking at EPM since he was 24 years old like that he's having a plus four offensive EPM year last year. He had a plus 8.1 offensive EPM year, a one year difference, half the impact. That is a, a crater size drop off that we're seeing from Dame in terms of his impact. And I think it's because of his aggressiveness. And I think it's because of his efforts to try to kind of fit in around Giannis. And I just think it needs to be the other way, not because he's the better player, but because Giannis is the most, is the more, um, is the more versatile player, is the more flexible player and can fit in around Dame's style as opposed to the other way around. So I think they're still working that out. We're still early in the season, 40 games in. I mean, it's half the season, but I think we have another half the season for them to figure that out, and I think they'll get there. So to me, the fact that they've been able to hit this offensive height second in the NBA in, in, in offensive efficiency, in offensive rating, I should say, um, without having figured that part out, I think that they're going to get to really high places. I think they, they, they could be the best offenses in the league and their defense is going to get a lot better as, you know, Dame takes on more of the offensive uh, load and Giannis takes on more of a defensive load as he, he has been doing lately. Yeah. Uh, and to be clear, when I said it was a, it was a monumental moment for them, I was implying from Dave Dame's perspective, I agree that Giannis has always been deferential and sort of understood his limitations. Um, I I do think it's natural for Dame to, like you said, he's coming into Giannis's town. Okay. Like I'm going to also be deferential back to Giannis. You know, like I just think that's a very human instinct. And to your point, once Dame amps up the aggressiveness and, reverts to the player he was offensively last season or at least closer to it that's gonna be really good for the bucks and again i think a moment like that buzzer beater against the kings gives dame proof of concept to like okay yeah like i'm comfortable and like i don't have to be as afraid to fail i'm not saying he's afraid to fail but like 
all that stuff creeps in when you're in a new place and in a new system and trying to figure it out. And I think he's going to get closer to what he was last season after that. 